Welcome to the Kingdom Community Show. It's time for revival, revival, reformation, reformation, and kingdom advancement. Now, here's Glenn Blakeney. Happy Resurrection, everyone. Glenn Blakeney here on this edition of the Kingdom Community Show. We are going to be taking a look at the celebration of Passover and its modern relevance to us as followers of Jesus Christ. Guys, this is a powerful teaching that I did recently, and I really pray that it encourages you and blesses you. God bless you as you commemorate the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Hallelujah. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to today's broadcast. We are actually celebrating Good Friday today as we come together to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. Now, one of the things that we as Christians often fail to really um, embrace, which actually hinders us from understanding the full significance and implications of what Jesus did on the cross for us, is going back to the Old Testament and understanding the prophecies and even the, the festivals or the feasts that were celebrated and how they actually were the type and the shadow of the new covenant and how Jesus came to fulfill those things. For example, in Colossians, we're told that Jesus was the um, substance. He's the fulfillment of all of these things. So as we celebrate Good Friday, we have to remember that back in those days, and even today among the Jewish people, that that is not um, one of their celebrations. It's actually a very unique Christian celebration, and, and it's fine and it's good, but Jesus himself celebrated the Passover as a Jew, as a Hebrew. And so when we study the, what was happening on that night when, when he gathered around the table with his disciples, we have to put it in that context. That Jesus was gathered with his disciples in that room to celebrate the Passover. And they would do this, all of the Jews, every year at the same time. Now this year, we are in the year 2020, Passover begins on Wednesday April the 8th, which is two days before the Christian celebration of Good Friday. And as I said, the fact that these um, two holidays are so close together is not just a coincidence. It's because we, belie we believe that Jesus ultimately came to give his life as a sacrifice for us. But when you look back to this festival and the celebration of what is known as Passover, particularly the very first Passover, which is recorded in Exodus 12. There's so much there that speaks of Jesus. In fact, I really don't believe we can understand the, the depth, the, the fullness of what Jesus did at the cross without being versed in this festival or this godly holiday celebration called Passover. See, Scripture is clear that Jesus, as a Jew, came to Jerusalem that final time. It would have been his final celebration time he came to Jerusalem to, to keep the Passover. But he didn't just come to celebrate the Passover this time. The very last time he came to become our Passover. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Paul said, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. But what does that mean? 
going back to Exodus 12, the story of the first Passover, we see that the Passover was necessary during that time and what it actually represents. Because during that time, the setting is in Egypt and the mood is chaos. Egypt is devastated by um, the fact that they've just gone through nine plagues. And Passover actually speaks of something God had commanded the Jews in particular to keep because there was about to be one final plague. The tenth plague would be the firstborn of all the males, of all the sons, as the angel of death would come into the land. And so Passover is clearly uh, a commandment by God to, to be protected, to take action, to shield ourselves from this death angel, the Israelites in particular at that time. So interestingly, the Israelites who had been struck there in Egypt for centuries, it was now time for God to bring them out to fulfill his covenant promise sworn to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that their children would possess the land of Canaan as their inheritance. I'm going to read from Exodus 2, 23 through 25. It says, Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their God and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. But before the children of Israel would be released from their bondage in Egypt, this one final plague would occur. In fact, this plague would be the most severe of all plagues. The narrative is found in Exodus 11, 4 through 8. Moses had come to Pharaoh. He said, this is what the Lord says at midnight tonight. I will pass through the heart of Egypt. All the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt from the oldest son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the oldest son of his lowliest servant girl who grinds the flour. Even the firstborn of all the livestock will die. Then a loud wail will rise throughout the land of Egypt, a wail like no one has heard before or will ever hear again. But among the Israelites, it will be so peaceful that not even a dog will bark. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between the Egyptians and between the Israelites. Interestingly, with all of the previous plagues, Israel had no responsibility. There was nothing they were required to do. God simply told them to stand back and watch how his judgment would fall upon Egypt. For example, their cattle did not die, though the cattle of Egypt died. Their crops received no hail, though the crops of Egypt were devastated by hail. During the plague of darkness, the region of Goshen, where the children of Israel lived, experienced light as normal. However, this time, this final plague, the firstborn being, dying, the Israelites are called by God to take action. There's something that they would need to do if they would be excluded from this plague. Here's what God said. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorpost door will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. So God said, take a male, 
and a male lamb, slaughter it, and I want you to apply the blood to the doorpost, to the top and to the sides of the doorpost. And every household that does this, he said, I promise you that I will pass over that household. They will be exempt and excluded from death and destruction. But interestingly, and this is the point we really need to understand, God is saying that this action requires the shedding of blood. It wasn't that he said, well, if you pray, if you give me a sacrifice, if you do this or that, he's saying, I will, you know, ensure that, that you're not harmed. No, the Lord actually says there is a shedding of blood that must take place. So it is a type and a shadow of sacrifice. Now, we know in the Old Testament, the shedding of animals uh, was not sufficient to be able to atone from the sins of people. So ultimately, it points to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When he would come, as John said, John the Baptist, in John chapter 1, verse 29, when he saw Jesus appear on the scene of history, he pointed to him and he said, Behold, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That was a clear reference back to Passover, to what had happened on that day, that Jesus was the Paschal Lamb, that Jesus had come to fulfill the Passover. So it speaks of the necessity of shedding blood. Every person, Egyptians, Israelites, anyone who would take the blood and they would apply it to their doorposts was, would be exempted from this. But the interesting thing is, Israel also required the blood because there's no one righteous, not one person. And same with you and me today. There's not one of us who is holy enough that we don't need the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The only way of salvation, no matter how good we are, no matter how upright we are, no matter how much we've done to help people, the only way of salvation is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, his blood being shed for us. And when you look back in that day, in that time, we find, particularly in the 20th chapter of the book of Ezekiel, that Israel wasn't as innocent as it seemed. You know, even though they were God's chosen people and they were being oppressed, the fact is this passage in Ezekiel tells us that they were engaged in idolatry during this time. I'm reading from Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 8. It says, But they the children of Israel, rebelled against me and would not listen. They did not get rid of the vile images they were obsessed with or forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I threatened, God says, to pour out my fury on them to satisfy my anger while they were still in Egypt. So the message of Passover is that the 10th plague shows that God is holy God is just, but the message of Passover also tells us that God is merciful. His blood offers mercy and forgiveness. The message of Passover is the same message in which we herald and which we celebrate when we gather together for Good Friday, that Jesus was the fulfillment of Passover. He is the true Passover lamb, the one who was sacrificed for the sins of the world. And so when Jesus made his journey to Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago, it wasn't just to celebrate the Passover, but to become our Passover. God provided the sacrifice in his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, the lamb who was fully God and fully man. Jesus corresponded perfectly to all the Old Testament types of this Paschal lamb. For example, 
the law or, or during the first Passover, they were to make sure that this was a male lamb that was in its prime of its age. And Jesus, of course, when the, was a mature male as well. Uh, none of the bones of this lamb were to be broken. None of Jesus' bones were broken. He was thoroughly examined and he was found spotless. You know, on the 10th day, they were told that they were to bring this lamb into their home. And for the next few days, until the 14th day of this month, they were to examine the lamb to make sure that it had no blemishes on it at all. And of course, Jesus was scrutinized. And time after time, we read uh, during the last week of his life that he was blameless, that he was guiltless. In fact, Pilate said three times, I find no fault in him at all. And ultimately, the greatest uh, co corresponding attribute in which Jesus fulfilled is his death on the cross. You know, the Passover lamb was roasted on a spit. And this spit, interestingly, was shaped like a cross. And he was roasted over fire. Fire speaks of judgment in the Old Testament. So Jesus became the judgment. He became, he took upon us the judgment that was due to us. And he who knew no sin became sin for us, or he became a sin offering for us. So he took upon himself the judgment. He became the substitution for our salvation. And the Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, that we've been redeemed not with, the per with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And that's exactly what Paul was referring to when he said, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. You see, our salvation comes through substitution. It's called the vicarious atonement, where Jesus gave his life for us. That's why God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Today, when we take the blood of Jesus through faith in him, through believing that what he did on the cross is our only hope, is the only way of salvation and redemption, God looks at us and he sees the blood and he passes over us. All of those things that were destined to destroy us, to separate us from God, to, from not only in this life but for eternity, are negated, are nullified because of the blood. We are protected by the blood. We are saved by the blood. We are healed by the blood because there is only one way that man can experience forgiveness. The Bible says in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. This is a gospel that requires blood. It's foolishness to the people of the world. And ultimately, Jesus, who was perfect, Jesus, God, who became a man, who never sinned, who gave his life for you and for me, he paid the ultimate price so that we could be reconciled to God. I love Isaiah 53. This is uh, in the Old Testament speaks of the Messiah, the one who would die for us. And even today, when you read it, even it's very clear that this was speaking about Jesus. And in verse four and five, it says this that surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we're healed. 
I was looking at this passage again, and I've studied it previously, and, and, and I, it just so refreshed me and, and encouraged me as I began to look at this again. It says that he has borne our griefs. The word in Hebrew that is translated griefs literally means sicknesses. He carried our sorrows, which is the equivalent of pain. He took our sicknesses. He took our pain. And by the way, this isn't just referring to the physical. It can refer to any type of sickness, sickness of the soul, sickness of our spirit, sickness of our body, anything that causes pain. He was, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Then it says this, he was wounded for our transgressions. The Hebrew word here means our rebellion. And it speaks of outward rebellion, the, the actions, the conduct, misconduct, the things that we do that is so evil and, and so wrong and contrary to God's will. He was bruised for our iniquities. Very interestingly, the word iniquities speaks of the deep issues of the heart. It can refer to perversity. And of course, a bruise is something that is underlying. A bruise is something that, that affects us inwardly. And Jesus suffered for us, not only physically, but he suffered emotionally. When he was praying that literally just before he was arrested, you know, and he was crying out to his father. The Bible says that he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to the place or to the point of death. So he suffered for us so that we could be healed, we could be forgiven, we could be transformed, we could be cleansed. And it says this, the chastisement for our peace was upon him. Of course, that's the word shalom. And it speaks of completeness, soundness, welfare, refers to in every capacity, in every area of our life, spirit, soul, and body, so that nothing is missing, nothing is broken, but everything is whole. And by his stripes, we are healed. That word speaks of health being restored, God making us whole in every way. This is what Jesus did at the cross for us. He paid the price so that we could be whole, spirit, soul, and body. We can be restored to relationship with his Father. We can be forgiven. We can know the Lord. We can walk in that place of communion with him and experience all the benefits and the blessings of our salvation. But I want to point out one thing in closing. Please note that strictly speaking, it wasn't enough for the Passover lamb to be slain. In order for God to pass over his people, they had to personally take this blood from the lamb and apply it to their doorposts. If they admitted this step, the lamb wouldn't have done them any good. And so we need to understand that it's not enough just to acknowledge that Jesus died for me, that Jesus is the sacrifice of God. There's no other way of salvation. The question is, have you applied the blood of Jesus to your life? Are you covered by his blood? Have you received his sacrifice? Do you trust? Do you believe? And have you put your faith completely in him? Unless you appropriate and apply that blood to yourself, all that he suffered for, all that he did for our salvation will remain useless. It's of no value to us. We must look to the Lamb of God who was pierced for us, and we must embrace him by faith as the sacrifice, as the one who, as the one who secured salvation for us. 
not only from God's wrath, but from all of the things in this world that are contrary to God's perfect will. Salvation through substitution. This is the message of Passover. This is the message of Good Friday. And this is the hope of the world that whosoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him, whoever looks to him, whoever puts their faith in him will be forgiven. It's not by our good deeds. It's not by our religious activities. It's not by our philanthropy or, or our acts of, of good conduct that secures a place of right standing with God. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, the final thing that he said is it is finished, meaning there's nothing else that needs to be done. There is no need to celebrate the Passover anymore is what he was saying, because I am the final Passover lamb. I am the one who has secured and purchased redemption for my people forevermore. All we need to do is believe in him. Behold the lamb of God. Look to the lamb of God the one who takes away once and for all the sins of this world, not only covering the sins, but actually taking away the sins because through his sacrifice, he, he literally cleansed, he obliterated the sin issue and didn't just cover it, but he erased it. He took care of it once and for all so that we can be forgiven. Isn't that an amazing thing? The Lamb of God who died for you, who died for your family, who died for everyone in this world who will trust him. And so in this Good Friday, I want to encourage you. There are people that you know, perhaps in your own family, maybe people that you're connected to uh, in your workplace or, or uh, in other ways who need to hear this message. You are the one who can tell them about this Lamb of God. You're the one who can share with them the truth of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is good news. I want to encourage you to do that, to be proactive in taking and sharing this message with others. You've reached the end of another episode of the Kingdom Community Show with Glenn Blakeney. Be sure to visit kingdomcommunity.global to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our awesome bonus content. Until next time.